new COVID outbreaks. She tested positive for COVID-19. The transfer of an infected patient and how families at risk are reacting. Mystery at a Surrey hospital. A woman who had significant injuries um, had, had been brought to the hospital. Tracing the last moments of a woman who died after being dropped off. And paying more and getting less. We're obligated by contract, but the contract never uh, envisioned a situation like this. Strata owners revolt after paying huge fees for facilities they can't use. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. We start with two new active COVID-19 outbreaks, both of them tied to Mission Memorial Hospital. A patient transferred to Maple Hill Care Facility in Langley has now tested positive for the virus. And now the family of another resident there is demanding answers about what the hospital knew and when. Catherine Urquhart reports. 82-year-old Bob Zess pictured in happier times, pre-pandemic. Now he's forced to stay in a tiny room at Maple Hill Long-Term Care in Langley. This after someone with COVID-19 was transferred there from Mission Memorial Hospital. They had a patient come in from Mission Memorial Hospital on June 9th um, and she tested positive for COVID-19 uh, Sunday night. My father called my mother Monday morning hysterically crying um, because he knew he was told there was COVID in the, in the care home. The outbreak at Maple Hill and at a second facility, Tabor Home, are linked to an outbreak at Mission Memorial Hospital. The Zess family questions if protocols were followed. My mom and I were both told that... Um, Prior to the patient arriving at Maple Hill, proper protocol was not followed by Mission Hospital prior to sending her. What that protocol is, I'm unaware. I'm assuming it would be around COVID testing. Fraser Health says protocols were followed, although the patients transferred from Mission Memorial to the care homes were not tested for COVID-19 as they were asymptomatic. The protocol is that we put people coming into long-term care in quarantine for 14 days, which was the case here, and they're put under precautions. And then we, we check for symptoms on a regular basis, and, and when, if and when they develop symptoms, then we test them. So this is what's happened. Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry is calling the new outbreaks very concerning. So far, Bob Zess has tested negative for COVID, giving his family some relief, Still, they're heartbroken he'll be confined to his room for at least the next month and worry he could become infected. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry now. Keith, many families have been anxious to see their loved mm -hmm. ones in long-term care. I know that applies to you as well. And this mm -hmm. really is exactly why health officials are very cautious about letting anyone in. Exactly, Chris. Uh, these are the people who are most vulnerable to the worst outcome of getting this virus. That's why we see a disproportionate amount of deaths in our long-term 
because of COVID-19. So this is concerning, and this is the latest uh, outbreaks at some of our facilities. First of all, the Mission Hosp Memorial Hospital, which is basically shut right now as a result, has three cases right now. Tabor Care Home in Abbotsford, as Catherine pointed out, has one case. Maple Hill in Langley has one case. I want to bring you up to date on Holy Family in Vancouver, which we reported before. That's now up to 23 cases. Uh, that's an increase of about eight, and that includes 18 residents and five staff. I put the question to Premier John Horgan today about the fact we get, get so many emails and calls from people wanting to know when they can access those long-term care homes and visit people, their, their loved ones, and people who may be at the final stages of life. And the Premier responded by saying, this is a very tough situation, no easy answers. They want the restrictions to be lifted, but it has to be done in a very careful way. These are extraordinary, extraordinarily difficult decisions for Dr. Henry and Minister Dix. Uh, I've talked to them both about this uh, repeatedly. Uh, they uh, have as much empathy as you know as anyone you're going to find. This is not something that they are doing uh, with glee. It's something they're doing because of the vulnerability of the people inside long-term care homes. And we have been successful because we've had a plan to this point in time. And we need to reduce those restrictions. I know that. They know that. The public knows that, but we want to make sure we're doing it in a way that doesn't put anybody at risk. And, and unfortunately, I think we're going to be in this situation for some time, Chris. They are working to try to find protocols to allow visits. Uh, it's proving tough. And I have a feeling when Dr. Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix have their briefing tomorrow, this question is going to come up again, as it always does. Yeah, no doubt it will. Okay, Keith, thanks very much right. for that. So we know about the two new outbreaks at long-term care homes. So let's take a look at the latest overall COVID-19 numbers for our province. And it's a bit of an uptick today. We have 19 new infections for a total now of 2,775. Thankfully, no deaths to report. So that number remains at 168. 11 people are in hospital, five of them in ICU with no change to those numbers. 2,422 people are now considered fully recovered, which means we have 185 active cases. That's up 13. Well, today marks 100 days since the first COVID-19 death in B.C. and the start of what's been an unprecedented health care and economic crisis. Since then, more than 314,000 British Columbians have lost their jobs. And during an update today, B.C.'s finance minister admits the economic rebuild is going to be a massive job. Richard Zussman reports. From restaurants to retail to tourist destinations, COVID-19 has had a devastating impact. We do know that the effect of this pandemic is as bad as any we've ever seen in the history of our province. On Wednesday, the province laying out next steps on the road to recovery, launching this website, asking for the public's input on in how to spend $1.5 billion put aside for stimulus to support all British Columbians. The economic effects are felt differently based on your age, your gender, your income level, and the sector that you work in. The accommodations, retail and restaurant sectors are those hardest hit and looking for help. The industry is often linked to tourism, making up half of the more than 300,000 jobs that have disappeared in B.C. We expect Premier Horgan and his team to have an economic recovery plan, implement that plan and move forward. Instead, all we have today is a simple little online survey. Part of the recovery will be a move to Phase 3, an invitation for British Columbians to start travelling. Premier Horgan opening the door for that move soon. I'm hopeful, based on the, the, the numbers we've seen over the past number of weeks, that we'll be in a position to move to Phase 3 uh, sometime next week. But as many look forward, there are lots of British Columbians still struggling. 
the province non-committal to adding to the one-time BC emergency benefit to workers or extending the BC temporary rental supplement program past the end of June. It may not be the same program that we have in place now, but we're committed to making sure that people will get the resources they need to get through this. Welcome news to people struggling to put food on the table who are hoping for solutions much bigger than a website. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The suspicious death of a woman in her 30s has RCMP appealing for some help tonight. Grace Key is live with more on this story. And Grace, this is a bit of a mystery that started early this morning when the victim was dropped off at hospital. Yeah, it certainly is. And it uh, may have somehow began just behind me here where it's a very active crime scene as well. So all day, police have been concentrating their efforts here at 168th Street and 27th Avenue. Now, the woman may have been here either earlier this morning or yesterday. About 30 minutes ago, there were three people here focusing on a corner of this intersection and recording the scene. Now, it's unclear if it was possibly a witness. We're not sure. We do know at about 5.30 this morning, a woman in her 30s was dropped off at Peace Arch Hall hospital. Now, she was seriously injured. Despite efforts to save her, she later died in hospital. At this time, the cause of the woman's injuries is unknown, and her death is being treated as suspicious. Police have identified her, and her family has been notified, and they know who dropped her off at the hospital, but still lots of unanswered questions. We haven't come up with a um, definitive answer as to what has occurred in the situation yet. They're looking at all avenues um, of investigation and possibilities, whether or not um, they will be able to conclude this was as a result of an accident, whether it was as a result of, as you say, maybe an assault or some type of criminal offense. That's not determined yet. So police continuing to look into how she was injured and trying to trace back some of her movements prior to her injuries. Chris? All right, Grace Key, live in Surrey. Thank you, Grace. An update now to the ongoing story of a former Vancouver police detective who pleaded guilty to breach of trust and sexual exploitation. Tonight we learn that a special prosecutor has decided three officers accused of misconduct in connection with that case will not be charged. For three years, the public has been in the dark about a serious investigation involving three Vancouver police officers from the sex crimes unit who were being investigated for allegations of serious misconduct in relation to disgraced former VPD detective James Fisher, who went to jail for sexual exploitation and breach of trust. The BC Prosecution Service now going public for the first time that a special prosecutor, Joseph Doyle, was appointed to the case in 2017. The BCPS now revealing that Alberta RCMP were brought in to investigate, but Doyle concluded the charge assessment standard for criminal charges had not been met for any of the three officers and no charges were approved. The delay due to several matters still pending, including a conduct investigation non-criminal under the Police Act. Last year, the Canadian bank suffered a loss of $44 million due primarily to the Daihunjai or Big Circle Boys. Fisher was sentenced in 2018 to 20 months in prison and two years probation for kissing two female witnesses, one who was 17 at the time, during investigations against two convicted pimps, Reza Moazami and Michael Bannon. 
The prosecution service will not say whether Alberta RCMP recommended charges or didn't because the matter is still ongoing. Romina Dea, Global News. It's a movement that's been getting a lot of attention lately, calls to defund or even dismantle police forces. Victoria City Council is now considering changes to its police policies, looking at alternative services that would take over some of the duties now handled by the city's police. Brad McLeod reports. This is sadly not an uncommon sight nor sound in the capital region. If someone's having a mental health episode at 4 a.m., the only people to call right now are the police, and I think we can do better. A significant portion of their work is responding to what might otherwise be considered uh, social service issues. So a couple councillors are putting forward a motion to find a better way. That there are other uh, professionals, including in particular health professionals, who could bring perhaps a more specialized response. The motion opens the door to the idea of at least partially defunding the Victoria police. George Floyd! A sentiment gaining traction with the Black Lives Matter and anti-black racism movements. Will that money come forward from the police budget? It's possible. Julian Davey runs Our Place on Pandora Avenue, serving hundreds of the city's most vulnerable every day. He recently moved from Edmonton, a city which has a 24-7 crisis diversion service for people in distress. Instead of calling the police, they called this number and uh, two social workers would come in a car and pick them up and take them to shelters or to hospitals. Daly says our place could provide such a service in Victoria alongside police. Victoria Police Chief Del Manick says, I enthusiastically welcome these discussions. I agree that there is a need to provide additional social and mental health services. However, this must not come at the expense of police funding, which is already underfunded. But where will the money come from in the time of COVID? Helps maintains mental health and addiction is in the province's purview. We do have to have a bigger funding conversation than simply defund the police. That's not going to get us where we need to go. The motion will be voted on Thursday. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. Condo owners everywhere are wondering when they'll have access to the facilities they pay good money for. Pools and gyms and many other amenities are off limits since the COVID crisis started. But they're still paying full strata fees. Is there any recourse in just over a minute? We're learning of a terrifying bear encounter near Prince George, resulting in a woman and her mother being taken to hospital. It happened on Tuesday afternoon, the pair walking down a logging road with their dogs when they encountered a bear. The dogs startled the bear, which then attacked the dogs and both women. They were treated for minor injuries and have since been released from the hospital. The Conservation Officers Service believes this was a defensive attack. In this case, that we've uh, the team has uh, determined with all the evidence we've uncovered leads to believe that this was a uh, defensive um, uh, attack where dogs uh, uh, ad- uh, surprised the bear and uh, the bear did not pursue uh, the initial attack. And uh, uh, the people that were involved in it are, are doing well and have uh, uh, done um, done uh, very well under the circumstances. Yeah, and we continue our Believe BC series, shining a spotlight on the innovative ways local businesses have adapted to the new demands created by the COVID pandemic. Ted Chernecki has more on a Surrey company that hit a home run 
with its game-changing face shield. It didn't take long to figure out wearing these face masks all day could be very uncomfortable. Glasses that fogged up, mumbled voices, rashes around the mouth and ears. Then for a lower mainland entrepreneur, that idea light came on in the strangest of places. I was actually driving through a fast food drive through and uh, looking through the window, I noticed that none of them were wearing safety protection of any kind, but everybody was wearing a baseball cap. Call it his thinking cap because he'd already been looking for ideas. His traditional customers suddenly had lost all appetite for the food industry equipment his company had been making. We were definitely getting concerned uh, back in March when, when customers did start to put a hold on orders. So we knew we had to pivot for one thing, but we also just wanted to, to do something with the pandemic. So, so we felt, uh, felt obligated with our resources and our capabilities to do something. So now for about $12 each, you get this shield and the clips to make it work on a baseball cap. Cap not included. The price is a fraction of that when bought in bulk. Sales are booming, but it wasn't easy to get here. The most important thing for us was to, to adapt our business to a high volume type product supply, which we were not used to, and develop all of the, uh, the infrastructure to support high volume sales of a consumer product. If it's one thing that this pandemic is showing is that holes can easily be shot through what business and governments might have thought were bulletproof plans. I think it's very important to focus on uh, local manufacturing, uh, local supply, figuring, out, figuring that out and, and for building further infrastructure to support local business. Uh, that's very important, uh, absolutely. So we've definitely, definitely learned a lot during that process. It's hard to pivot in a pandemic when everything you need comes from one supplier. Chalk one up for local manufacturing. Ted Chernahi, Global News. Up next, infection spike in the U.S. So a lot more people are getting the COVID virus. With skyrocketing cases, why some say it's time to dial back the openness. And what a drone strike on an RCMP helicopter is going to cost taxpayers. This program is brought to you in part by Believe BC. Together is now. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Massey Tunnel. Counterflow has been pulled. Two lanes in both directions and no delays. Time to renew your car insurance. Call BCA to easily renew your ICBC auto plan by phone and email and find out more ways to save. Visit bca.com car. I'm Trish Jewison in the AM730 in the Global One Traffic Helicopter. Some tense moments today outside UK Parliament when Prime Minister Boris Johnson's car was hit by his own security vehicle. The car was leaving Parliament when a protester ran into the road. The official car stopped, but the following Range Rover rear-ended it. Johnson's office says there were no injuries. And some developing news out of Ottawa. Tonight, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh was kicked out of the House of Commons this afternoon after refusing to apologize for calling Bloc Québécois House leader Alain Terrien a racist. Singh was seeking the unanimous consent of the House of Commons to pass a motion calling on the House to recognize that there is systemic racism within the RCMP. It appears Terrien called out no to the motion, although his party was in full agreement. Canada has lost its bid for a two-year term on the United Nations Security Council. The voting was held today at UN headquarters in New York City. Our chief political correspondent, David Aiken, has been covering this race and reports that this loss will be laid at the feet of our Prime Minister. 
It was a close vote. And in fact, United Nation watchers say they've never seen a vote so close for a United Nations Security Council seat. But it was a vote that Canada lost. Norway and Ireland won. And here's how it broke down. You need 128 votes to win. Norway got 130. Ireland got 128 on the nose. And Canada was out in the cold with 108. This will be a loss that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is going to wear. He has personally tied himself to this campaign, and he's done so for years, saying that this would have been a symbol that, quote, Canada is back. But in fact, when campaigners went out and said Canada is back, that actually helped the Norwegians and the Irish who said, hey, they had never left. Now, as Global Affairs Canada officials try to figure out what went wrong, they're going to try to find out what regions of the world did not vote for Canada. If, in fact, it was Western European countries that could not give their support to Canada because they'd already given it to Norway and Ireland, that points up the fact that Canada was so late in the game campaigning. Norway and Ireland have been campaigning for this seat for 10 years. But if, in fact, it looks like African countries deserted Canada and did not give Canada its support, then it's a question Canada has to look at itself about its overseas aid levels, and it has to look at its peacekeeping. Right now, Canada has the fewest number of peacekeepers abroad in 70 years, and that's something that they notice at the U.N., In any event, the Prime Minister is expected to speak about this particular bid and where Canada goes from here. It's the third time Canada's lost a bid for the United Nations Security Council, and I don't think Canada wants to do that again. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa.